So, Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to come together to celebrate you, to learn more about who you are, to experience you, to acknowledge you, to worship and praise all the things that are part of us being the body of Christ. We just say that we love you. We're so grateful for what you've done for our lives and our families, our histories. We just uh, lift you up tonight and praise you. I pray, God, that you'd come in this time of teaching. Pray for your anointing, for um, just uh, a word from you that would bring rest and peace and encouragement to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So how's everybody doing? All right, so far so good? I think we uh, put out a little ad this week that I was teaching on uh, a subject I'd mentioned to Paula two or three weeks ago, and so she just took liberty to put it up there. I was teaching on the parable of the ten virgins, and I'm not. So surprise, that was just a bait and switch. I've actually moved on to something else uh, that I think was more appropriate. So you'll give me permission to change the subject, I hope. I'll be, uh, and for those of you with Bibles, and I really don't care one way or the other, whether <laughs> you give me permission or not, I'm going to do it. Those of you with your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 7, uh, around verse 24 eventually. But uh, I want to start, first of all, with uh, just an impression I have. I think there's seasons when God begins to stir something in you, and you, you get a sense that something's going on, and you try to get hold of it, don't you? Say, what are you doing, Lord? What's happening that you want me to understand? And I, you begin to get pieces here and there. But there's something that's been ringing around in my head for a while, and I'm going to try to nail it tonight if I can. Let me start by reading you a word from Lance Wall now. And uh, I copied this. This has been several months ago, but it, it came up, and I thought, I'm going to share that and see if we can play on it. This is, uh, this is his quote. The real key to destiny is discerning the activity of God in your life and his invitation to join him in what he's about to do. So the key to destiny is trying to pick up on what God is doing in your life to recognize his invitation that draws you into that activity and to join him in that, in what he's doing. You with me? So, what is he saying to the church? So if you were to take out your compass and take a reading, try to find out where you are right now and get oriented, let me ask you this. Are you on course to take your life where it was meant to go? Are you on track to find your destiny and purpose? Do you feel like you're on the right road? You don't have to know that. I just, I'm throwing that out for you to ponder because I'm going to discuss that with you tonight, what that means. Some anonymous person made the statement. Ask yourself if what you're doing today is getting you closer to where you want to be tomorrow. With that in mind, let me take you to the thoughts I had this week. The title of my study is actually When the Rains Come. And it's taken from Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. I'm going to back up a little bit and give you a little prelude to that and, and lead into the, uh, the story. By the way, the corresponding story in Luke is in 
Luke 6, 46. So let me give you this background. In verse 13, Jesus has begun a thread of messages. Now, just because one verse precedes another, followed by another, doesn't mean that he gave those in that order on that day in a sequence. It means that whoever collected these teachings, in this case Matthew, put them together from his notes and did the best he could under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to capture this message. So it begins with a thread of a message about two things. Number one, he's the quality of choices that people make. And number two is how those choices determine the outcome of their lives. So he starts with these words of comparison. This is nearly identical to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 30, by the way. When the Lord came through Moses prophetically and told the people and to Joshua, Moses, he says, today I've put before you two paths. One leads to life and joy and rest and peace, and the other leads to death and destruction. He says, I hope you choose the path to life, but it's your choice. Jesus is about to say something very similar. And so I remembered that because the Lord had given me that word prophetically once upon a time. So this is the voice translation of, of this passage in verse um, in chapter 7, verse 13. So Jesus says there's two paths before you. You may take only one path. One doorway is narrow, and the other door is wide. Now, when I think about choices like this, I, don't, I can't help myself. I'm a movie buff. Immediately, I went to the, to the Matrix, and there's Morpheus speaking to Neo. I don't know if you remember that scene. He said, I've got two pills here. One's blue and one's red. And these are his words. You take the blue pill, and the story ends. You wake up in your bed, and you can believe whatever you want to believe. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter because you're still in the illusion. You're still in this place of unreality, and you've not entered into what you could have had. But it's if you take the red pill, you stay in wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Interesting concept, isn't it? It parallels what Jesus is saying here. In other words, adventure begins with God's reality, and so does the war. Remember in the movie? He was okay as long as he was not a threat, and he was held in this cocoon thing, and he was not conscious. The enemy hadn't captured. But as soon as he came to, and he began to have a consciousness and awareness of something else that was another reality, suddenly he was a target, wasn't he? Isn't that just like our lives when we come to the Lord? So he says, as we consider the path before us, Jesus tells us, Without hesitation, he says, do this. Go through the narrow door. He doesn't say think about it. He says, don't even think. Just go through the narrow door. The difficult pathway is the one for you. And why the narrow door? For the wide door leads to a wide path. And the wide path is broad. The wide, broad path is easy. And the wide, broad, easy path has many, many people on it. It's a pretty crowded boulevard, 
because it's easy going and it's just smooth sailing and there's no obstructions, no stumbling. Nothing comes against you on that path. It's easy. No challenge. Aha, uh-huh, but he says now the narrow path leads to a narrow road. I mean, the narrow door re- leads to a narrow road. And that leads to life. And that just like the words of Moses. And life is where we want to go, isn't it? Isn't that the choice? Jesus say, he's saying, take life. Take the narrow path and make the right choice. Going into this thing, if you take this door, you're on the right path. He concludes with this statement. It's hard to find that road. Anybody say amen to that? In fact, he tells us not many people manage it well. Verses 22, 21 and 22, he takes this up a notch. He's beginning to pick up some steam and build some, some momentum in his message. He said, we started with a narrow door that I want you to take because the other road leads to certain destruction in your life. So here, though, he says, for those of you who might take the wide door and the wide path, I want you to know it has an ultimate destination. And it looks like this in the end. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Simply calling me Lord will not be enough. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will join me in heaven. Now, how many of you read that before and just felt incredible condemnation? Come on. Because I read it for years, and every time I read it, I flinch because of my old Baptist background and my performance stuff. And so I fall back into that old thinking of, oh, my gosh, I've got to try harder. I've got to do better, or I'll be just like this guy here. So he goes on. At the end of time, on that day of judgment, again, I flinch. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now, understand what this man's saying. He's calling him Lord. And he said, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive demons out of the possessed people? Did we not perform miracles in your name? Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty Christian to me. That sounds like up and up ministry. Sounds like somebody's going for it and doing all the right stuff. And you know, Jesus doesn't even respond to that. I'll have to tell him, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I've never been joined to you. In other words, I never knew you. You were never with me. And I'll explain that to you in a minute. So there's something about this man doing all the right things and being set aside in the last day. Now, I don't know about you, but that's worrisome. I'd hate to arrive on the scene and discover that all I'd done and tried to do and become was wasted because I'd made a wrong decision. So let's back into this and see what this means. Are you okay? Because it ends good. Let me just tell you now, you can relax. Go away, you evildoer. I never knew you. Yikes. Is he saying, is he saying though, when he says, I never knew you, is he saying, I never met you? Or I don't have any information about who you are? Or is there something more in that word that gives us a better meaning and understanding? See, the word knew means much more than that. He's basically saying this. And this is the Holloway translation. 
and it's pretty good. <laughs> and what he's saying is, I was never joined to you in a spiritual union. We never had spiritual intimacy that would have made us one together. There's something you missed in all your doing good, and that was in the beginning you failed to be joined to me in this union. So it appears that the real issue is, not, is I've never been joined to you. It's not about all the doing, is it? Most churches would disagree with that. <laughs> but I believe this is gospel, that we have to go back and understand what is the foundation of everything we want to do. And based on that foundation, we can go forward at peace. We can trust him to see us through these things. Then what does it mean to be joined to God? Is this, if this question is the most important question, and evidently it is because on Judgment Day, that's all the Lord said about a person who had apparently done everything right. So the most important question is about this being joined to God thing. Is this making sense so far? All right. So how can a man or a woman be joined to the Lord? Our answer is found in John 14. where I'm going to read it from the Passion Bible. It goes like this. Jesus explained, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one, that's a big zero, <laughs> no one comes to the Father except through union with me. That's what that translation is. To know me, this no word again, is to know my Father too. If you knew us, if you were joined to me, you would be joined to the Father. You would understand what I'm saying. So there it is again, the knowing language. This union with the Father is a joining that can only be accomplished in one way. We can only be joined in this spiritual union with God in one way. And that's the way he devised it. That's the way he planned it. That's the way he set it out for us to join him. And the way is this. There's one door. And there's one path to this level of intimacy with the Father. And let me just say this. Nearly every religion since the beginning of time has tried to find acceptance from God based solely on their merits and their obedience. Christianity is the one religion, if you will, or belief system that says we can't do that. It has to be done for us. God would have to come to mankind. Mankind couldn't go to God. Now, you may have heard all this before, but it's, this is primary in our understanding. I want you to be, to be able to be assured of your salvation and your place with God and to be able to rest in that and not being uncomfortable in his presence. So here, haven't we always understood that doing the will of the Father is really about doing good works. I mean, I have. I, I'm, I'm assuming doing the will of the Father means doing something. And I always thought it meant doing good things. I need to evangelize and pray, study the Bible, and be nice to my wife. All those are kind things to do that reflect doing the works 
that are the will of God. But what if it's more than that? See, according to Jesus, it's a, it's a different thing. It's a different perspective on this. And he says this in his own words. He tells us, I can do nothing on my own initiative or authority. There it is again, the big zero. He said, I've purposed to become a, like a man. I am the man God, and I have emptied myself completely of all power on my own, and I live entirely by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can initiate nothing, and I have no authority apart from my union with the Father. So it's like this. If I'm yoked with Jesus in a spiritual union, then I'm literally bound by that yoke to follow him, am I not? There's something about being constrained or being captured in that yoke with him that wherever he goes, I go. I've shared this with you before. Where he leads, I will follow. And I will soon learn, learn to wait for him to initiate the Father's will. And he invites me into that. And then I go and do what God intended I would do. And that becomes the will of God. That becomes the good works that are obedient. The only effort that produces the good work that pleases God came from the tree of life. There were two trees in the garden, you'll recall. One was the tree of life, and the other tree was not. There's only one place where life flows to us, and it's through this symbolic picture of Jesus Christ. The union with God is accomplished by entering in through this narrow door, and it is Jesus himself. So what if we choose wrongly? What if we get on the wrong path, and we start walking in this other direction, and we find that we have veered off and gotten onto a path that's not going toward life and health and joy and peace. What do we do? You have permission to turn around and go the other way. It's called repentance. As soon as you have an awareness that the fruit of your journey is not the fruit of the Spirit, you can stop and turn around and go back to where you got lost. You with me? As long as we have air in our lungs, we can do this. Look at this first example with me in verse 24. Jesus is speaking. He, he continues a parable about two men. Once again, we have two different venues, two different thoughts. The one narrow door and the wide door now becomes two people who have made different choices. He says, those people who are listening to me, those people who hear what I say and live according to my teachings, you are like a wise man who built his house on a rock on a firm foundation. Remember that story? So what are the criteria to this person becoming a wise person and building on a good foundation is that they were listening they heard what he was saying, they understood it, and they put it into motion in their lives. They didn't make it happen, but they engaged in the process in agreement with the Holy Spirit. So to become this person, I have to be someone who's listening. Are you listening? Are you hearing and understanding the message tonight? There's, there's a place in time where God calls us and said, 
take out your compass and see it. If you're on track to take you where you want to go. If you're not, turn around, go back to where you last heard me and find your path to life. It's here Jesus said, this is his, my paraphrase again. Jesus says basically, time out. Hold that thought. It's terribly important that you listen to me and hear what I'm saying. It will become apparent that you belong to me if you listen to me and you do what I tell you to do. Does that make sense? If we call him Lord and we don't do what he says and we ignore him or rebel, there's a chance that we are disconnecting from him in some way. Is, is, am, I tr- am I right? But if we hear him and we respond that we understand by attempting to move in a place of obedience, God is pleased with us. Let me tell you something about building your life you, won't, you will want to know from the beginning. So now he's talking about foundations that we lay. He talks about building a house. He says, when the storm hits this house that was built, that was laid on this firm foundation, rain pounded down, waters rose, levees broke, and winds beat on all the walls of that house, but the house did not fall because... It was built on a rock. It was anchored to something solid, and it didn't move because there was no movement. The foundation was solid. Now, to the second man in this story, he turns and he says, those of you who are listening, now, isn't that strange? Both people were listening, but only one was listening to understand and hear and had a heart to comprehend what was being said, who was hungry for the words that would bring direction and wisdom. But this person, he says, you're like a fool who builds his house on a sand. When the storm comes to his house, what will happen? Well, the rain will fall, the waters will rise, the wind will blow, and the house will collapse with a great crash. It cannot stand. It's a house of cards. It was built on something that was fragile, that was shifting. The foundation wouldn't support the weight. And, and he says here that basically the message, the bad news is, Storms come to all of us, whether we're the ones listening to understand, whether we're the ones who are just going about acting as if we didn't care. Storms come to all of us, am I right? Jesus is saying that the destructive nature of life, which is the storms, and they will reveal what your home is. Now, as I read this passage again, I had to ask myself, so what was Jesus' purpose in teaching this message? What was he speaking this story about, and what did he hope the people would take away from it? Because that's what we're here for. Was it to shame people into trying harder? Or to scare us into becoming better people so we would strive harder and give more effort? If you think that, you don't know Jesus, the way he reveals himself. The nature of the Father is also the nature of Jesus. It's also revealed in his character, which is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which it says in parentheses is the result of his presence in us, is love. It's an unselfish concern for other people. 
It's joy, which is the inner peace. It's patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the attributes, the very nature of God, are all of these positive qualities. So when Jesus... Losing my voice. <laughs> Hold the mic. Speak into it. Thank you. So when Jesus speaks to us, his nature is the fruit of the Spirit. What does he bring in his message? All of these wonderful things. When it comes to laying down our foundation upon which we can build our lives, the Apostle Paul tells a story in 1 Corinthians 3.10 where he's kind of laying out the same story again that Jesus has told. He said, let every builder do his work carefully according to God's standards, according to God's will. Be attentive to do the right things. For no one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. He says there's only one foundation we can build our lives on. What would the foundation of my life look like if I built it on my relationship with Jesus? What would it sound like? What would the words be if I were to describe this foundation of faith in him alone. Let me read to you. These are the words of a song. I remember them from my youth. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Say it with me. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. The second, second verse goes like this. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. This is rich. These old hams, these, these guys just knew what they were doing. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. The third verse. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other grounds shifting sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound on that day when he stands there and I face him, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ's solid rock I stand. This verse that's so scary in first reading throws us into our pull away from God, afraid of punishment thing. And I want you to know it was never meant to be that way. God said, if I, if I knew you, if we had a spiritual union where you asked me to come into your life, my spirit came to you. That's the foundation that you're building on. 
Paul goes on to say, you know, on the, in the day of the final judgment, everyone will be judged. And if your works are found to be substandard, wood, hay, and stubble, they'll just be burned up, but you will enter in. Why is that? Because it was never about your works. It was always about the anchor of Christ Jesus, his righteousness, us having this union with him. That doesn't mean we don't strive to do good works, and we do, but we don't always do them well, do we? Sometimes we can't be bothered with those things. Sometimes we're determined to do them. That's our humanity. But God says that's another issue. The issue here today, as you stand before me on the, the day of the Lord, is did we have this union together? C.S. Lewis said this, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Can I get an amen? My beginning wasn't so good, but he gave me an opportunity to go back and change my ending. He was gracious to do that. I believe this is a season for us to come close to the Father and to re-engage in our union with him, to appreciate it, to press into it, to ask him for more. If there's a word that I would give you tonight, it's this. God is calling his people to prepare for what's coming. And the storms will come, but you will prevail if you hold in the union of this oneness with him. Is that good? All right, I'm going to stop there and pray for you. Let me ask you one thing. What did Nearly made it through. Did I talk too long? <laughs> what was the what was the bottom line? Can we summarize this whole message? Staying close, making sure we have established that relationship, that we nurture it, we hold tight to it, and if we feel it slipped away or we somehow aren't where we want to be, it's okay to go back and find it. God hasn't left where he was when you lost him. It's okay to have a new beginning. It's okay to reaffirm your purpose and your destiny in trusting in him. And I feel like this is a time for the, God's people to say, you know what? I want to turn into you, Father. I don't want to turn away. I want to set aside some of the stuff that's distractions, the things that take me away from you, the things that cause me to become deluded and not focused I want to give those to you I want to press in more into this relationship if you've given your life to the Lord he's taking it he doesn't turn people away when they're sincere so I'm going to pray with you tonight and you can pray with me if you want to in your heart I'm just going to make sure that we're all on the same page here spiritually is that okay so, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stop and to examine our lives and turn into you and not away, not to become so busy or casual 
or um, unconcerned, but to be focused on what's most important. And you'd say to us what's most important is that we have become one with you. And we do that by asking you to come, to forgive our sins, and we ask the Spirit of Christ to come to live in us and to take up habitation, to take up a place there where our spirits become one. They are bonded. They are welded. They are one for eternity. Now, I'm going to just pray with you. And if you haven't prayed this prayer, I want you to pray just in your heart with me. Father God, I just pray that right now that you'd forgive me of my sins, that you would send your son Jesus, his spirit, to live in my heart. I accept the sacrificial work that he did in my stead, in my place. I thank you that you washed me clean in this place of forgiveness that you established me in his righteousness. I ask you to come and live in me powerfully by your Spirit. And let us go forward today in a different way, focused and determined to walk all the way out and see this through to the end. Thank you, Father, that you have given us an invitation. And when we say yes, then you empower us with your grace. We receive that grace tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen.